I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiber Fueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant You, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing, we're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. Hello, Plant Strong people. Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Plant Strong podcast. A few weeks ago, we hosted our first of many live Rips Rescue events. The theme of this first presentation was Make Yourself Heart Attack Proof with Dr. Brian Aspel, my parents, Ann and Essie, and special guest Jim McNamara, one of my father's patients that has turned it around in a major way. The response to this event has been so overwhelming and positive that I wanted to share this audio version for all of our podcast listeners. So if you want to share this episode with someone that you really care about that could use this, you'll have both an audio version and our YouTube video version as well. If you or a loved one has had a cardiac event, or if you've been told that you're at high risk, think of this episode as your own two-hour appointment with some of the best medical providers on the planet. Cardiologist Dr. Brian Aspill was on the Plant Strong podcast for a solo interview just a few weeks ago. And my parents, I really hope, need no introduction, and they've been on the podcast numerous times. This special episode is a crash course on how adopting a whole food, plant-strong lifestyle can help you avoid a heart attack, stent, or even bypass surgery. Now, some of the topics that we're going to cover over the next two hours are Dr. Brian Aspill talks cholesterol and helps unpack your lipid panel numbers. It's a little scientific-y, but it's worth it. He also gives his take on lifestyle intervention versus surgery. My father talks nitric oxide, what it is, and how we can all get more of it. And in only the way she can, my mother digs into the foods that you need to fight back against heart disease. Plus, 
you'll definitely want to hear an inspiring plan strong success story from Jim McNamara. Enjoy this very special replay, or if you prefer to watch, visit the YouTube link in the show notes found at planstrongpodcast.com. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome. I hope you're all doing well. It is a beautiful spring day here in Austin, Texas. It's about 75 degrees, and the buds are starting to come out on all of the trees. Uh, I hope it's just as beautiful wherever you are uh, right now. I want to thank you and welcome you and appreciate you for joining us for this first episode of Rip's Rescue. As a former firefighter and emergency first responder, you know, I am used to responding to alarms. And as a firefighter, we responded to typically 10 to 15 calls every 24-hour shift. 90% of those calls were medical emergencies where, where we were responding to the dearth of chronic Western disease that was right before us. The heart disease, the diabetes, the cancer, the rampant obesity, absolutely everywhere. Today, it's a different uh, alarm that I'm responding to. We do have a national crisis that is afoot right now. As all of you know, it has been highlighted like never before because of COVID-19. 97% uh, of the people that are dying and being hospitalized have some sort of underlying comorbidity, whether it is heart disease, diabetes, cancer, some sort of suppressed immune system. And um, the top of the list by far is heart disease. And I can tell you as a former firefighter, the number one cause of in the line of duty deaths for firefighters was heart disease right? The whole engine two diet was started because my fellow firefighting brother had a astronomical high cholesterol of 344 milligrams per deciliter at the age of 33, had a horrendous family history of males and his family dying before the age of 50. And so that's how we got started at fire station two. But Beyond the fire station in America, obviously it's the number one killer of Americans. This is a disease that does not discriminate. It doesn't matter if you are black, white, brown, yellow, male, female, heart disease does not care. One person dies every 36 seconds from heart disease. And last year we had close to 655,000 people that perished from heart attacks. So, Tonight, we are going to present to you a Plant Strong Masterclass on how you can make yourself heart attack proof, right? Does that sound fantastic or what, Mike? Give me a kale, yeah. Can I get a kale, yeah? Kale, yeah. Okay, so kale, yeah, on how you can make yourself heart attack proof. And I want you to know that it doesn't matter what your genetic makeup is, okay? The best defense and offense against family history, against an elevated blood cholesterol, against a skyrocketing blood pressure is what you're gonna hear tonight. We are gonna set you up for success. So sit back, 
kind of relax and get ready for a fantastic amount of information over the next two hours. So with that, let me say tonight, we have an all-star lineup. We're gonna introduce you to Dr. Brian Aspel. He's a cardiologist from Asheville, North Carolina. He has embraced lifestyle medicine as the first tool that he reaches for in his medical bag. And you're gonna hear all about what he has learned as a cardiologist over the last 10 years practicing lifestyle medicine. You're gonna hear from my father, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr., who I'm sure many of you have heard of, and of course, his right arm and partner in crime, Ann Kryle Esselstyn, who is gonna show us how to make this work where the rubber hits the road in the kitchens uh, and a lot of her tips. Uh, we also have a very special guest for you, Jim McNamara. Jim is one of my father's patients that has been practicing this for a long time. We're gonna find out exactly how long tonight. And then we're gonna follow up that with a Q&A session with Dr. Brian Aspel, my father, my mother, and Jim McNamara. So sit tight for the next two hours. We're gonna have a lot of fun. Okay, to begin, why don't we bring back Dr. Brian Aspel. Brian, are you, uh, there you are, fantastic. Brian, how, how, uh, how are you doing and where are you right now tonight? Great, great. I'm in my basement in my normal meditation room in Asheville. I see. Well, it kind of has this funky special aura to it. I can, I can kind of <laughs> tell from here. Uh, can you, oh, there you are. Okay. So Brian, I'm going to start out tonight. We're, we we want to talk um, about a number of things. Obviously I just had you on the plant strong podcast yep. last week and I would encourage anybody that wants to do a deeper dive into, you know, a, a conversation a wonderful conversation I have with Brian, tune into that episode. Um, but tonight I want to talk about a number of things with you, Brian, uh, that will really give some value to all of our, our listeners tonight. I want to start out by reading to you a question. And this is from a gentleman named Bill from Cleveland, Ohio. He's in his 60s. He's been on statins since he was in his early 40s. He's of average build. Um, and thought that he was doing okay. Um, and here is his, <clears throat> here's a little bit of his, the email that he sent us. Although I had been very deliberate in my diet and exercise program for many years and had what I thought were clinical measures of good cardiac health, parentheses, BMI of 24.9, total cholesterol of 149, and a daily exercise regimen, my family history of heart disease caught up with me in July of 2020 when I was admitted to the Cleveland Clinic for a cardiac catheterization and ended up with a stent in my right coronary artery. So let's fast forward from that event. Um, Bill ordered prevent and reverse heart disease from his hospital bed. And in six months of going all in with plants, his total cholesterol is now about 100 and he's dropped 20 pounds. Um, I, I don't know if he's still on the statins. I would imagine that he probably is. But my question to you, you know, for starters, um, Brian, is, you know, we've been told 
that you know you get your cholesterol total cholesterol down below 150 and that's a really safe place to be um, obviously um, for some people it's not maybe if it's artificially there because of statin medications so for starters what is your opinion i mean does it one that 150 number do you need to get there using statins uh not using statins a combination of both what do you think as usual you ask a question that uh requires <laughs> some different answers it's hard to fit it in yeah um you know i think in bill's case this process of cardiovascular disease cholesterol buildup had been going on perhaps unbeknownst to him for some time before he even started the statins in his 40s so, you know, if you look back at, at uh, Ornish's data, and I, I'm just familiar with that because we had an Ornish program here in Asheville for four years, as we discussed on the uh, podcast. Yep. He divided people into two groups and, and those two, one group got the lifestyle medicine and, and largely plant-based diet. And the other group got standard care, including statins. And 60% of those patients were on statins. Today, it would be, you know, 98% because that's, that's what we're graded on when people leave the hospital, not whether or not they got your dad's book or whether or not they were on a statin. So if you look at those two groups, the group that had the statins, 60% were on statins, there was about a 28% progression of cardiovascular disease over this subsequent five years. His group with the plant-based diet plus egg whites and no fat dairy, so not, not you know, the, the diet that your dad would have espoused in his work, they had about an 8% regression over five years. So, you know, 8% regression is not a big deal, but compared to 28% progression, there's a huge difference in those two things. So, you know, Bill on his statin, even though he had good looking numbers, um, you know, probably was maybe holding things at bay, probably was having some progression of his cardiovascular disease. If you look at patients on statins in general, there's about a 50% reduction on high dose statins in subsequent cardiovascular events compared to patients who are on placebo. Right. But, you know, which, which 50% are you going to be in? Right. Right. So the short answer is that I, I think you do far better with the plant-based diet instead of even the statins. You mentioned that Bill's probably still on a statin and he may be, you know, I, I think that, um, I think that that's an open-ended question as to whether or not he should be with the, with, you know, the numbers that he probably has with the total cholesterol of hundred, he probably has an LDL less than 50, right. probably has a non HDL total cholesterol minus HDL less than 70 or so, you know, and that sort of patient, I would probably do some sort of confirmatory testing. I would either do, I would look at the number of cholesterol particles in circulation because while that's not standard of care, that's, I think an important number to look at. And you can measure that with either an LDL bad cholesterol particle number, or you can do something called an APOB, which stands for apolipoprotein B, which is the, the protein that's on every atherogenic cholesterol causing particle, cholesterol particle in your circulation. So there, there are two different ways of looking at the same thing. If the L, I use LDL particle number historically. If the LDL particle number, if Bill's LDL particle number were under 700, um, you know, I would certainly wean him down to the lowest dose statin. It depends on what he wants to do. If he said, look, I want to stay on the statin. I'm tolerating it well. It's cheap for me. And I'm eating a plant-based diet and I love my numbers. I'd say fine. If he said, I really want to see if I can come off my statin with those numbers, I would have said, let's cut it in half. And when you get down to the lowest dose, five, 10 milligrams of, you know, pick your statin, mm -hmm. then, um, then I would say, okay, let's stop it and let's repeat it in about eight weeks and let's see what the numbers look like. And if you're still super low, 
we can, if that's your desire to be off of it, we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so you mentioned uh, LDL. Um, it seems like L- LDL, that's the lethal cholesterol yep. uh, for our listeners. You have your HDL, which is really your healthy cholesterol. And then you also have your triglycerides, right? And those three things make up your total cholesterol, right? I mean, but it's one fifth your triglycerides. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So on the standard lipid testing, that's that's the case. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But so on that LDL, you know, you hear a lot of talk about, you know, the big fluffy particles or the small dense particles. What's your opinion on on playing that kind of game? I mean, how 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 important is that? Yeah, not not critical. Uh, you know, small dense particles the little dense particles get into your lining of your blood vessels, the intima, which I'm sure your dad will mention when he talks about nitric oxide, uh, eat more easily than the large particles do. But tr- uh, number, particle number, trumps particle size. So if you had a particle number that was high, say you had a particle number of 1,000 and you had you know 70% small dense particles, that's much more worrisome to me than a particle number of 1,000 with 70% large fluffy particles. It, mm-hmm. the, the number is the number is what I would pay more attention to than the size when you compare those two things. Well, I think I've heard, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, that you know, with the the small dense versus the, the large puffy, that they both, I mean, the, the the smaller, denser ones are like, I don't know, I'm just gonna say 60% more likely to infiltrate. Whereas the big fluffy ones are like, you know, a little bit less, but they still infiltrate that right. lining. And, yes. and, and so, you know, it, it's, it, uh, you're not protected really either way. Um, but, Agreed. Um, you, right, right. Okay. So, and then you mentioned the uh, APO, uh, APO B. Okay. And now, is that part of LDL or is that a completely different thing? So ApoB, when the liver produces cholesterol, it actually comes out as a VLDL, very low density lipoprotein, right. yeah. and then it's converted to an intermediate density IDL and then to an LDL, low density, which is, you know, if you look at the, they're all atherogenic, they're all potentially problematic. So when you look at the standard lipid profile, what we're usually measuring is LDL. Yeah. So 90% on a, in a normal person, 90% of the circulating atherogenic cholesterol building particles in your circulation are LDL. We're not measuring IDL and VLDL, which will become LDL. And you're kind of getting to that when you look at the non-HDL, which I keep mentioning because I think it's important, the total cholesterol minus the HDL. So you take out the good and you're left with all the bads. So that, that number is really a better, that number is a better predictor of future mm. cardiovascular risk than is just LDL because that's about 90% of the risk. But honestly, is another one of those situations where the, the, the powers that be decided that that was too complicated for people to digest. And they said, okay, LDL is the, the bad one. That's what we need to pay attention to. That, that's partially true, but not the whole truth. So you said, and just to repeat, that number is, and you take the total cholesterol and then you subtract out of that the- Good, the HDL. The HDL. Right. Then, okay, okay. Right. So if your triglycerides are high, you're obese, you have diabetes or insulin resistance, hypertension, because these things usually go, you know, comes a package, as we yeah. know. Yeah. That's the kind of person that would have a, a non-HDL that would be higher than you might think based on the LDL. You might look at the LDL and say, oh, it's good. It's 70. It's good. 
but the non-HDL might be higher than you think because of all these sort of metabolic, the whole metabolic syndrome, as we call it, going on. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> now, um, HDL, will you, will you talk a little bit about how, like how important is HDL to you? Um, uh, for example, let's say you have a total cholesterol like you or me, probably below 150 without statins, about 130, got an LDL of, um, of 65, and I've got an HDL of 31, 32, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Uh, I don't think much about that, honestly. You know, we, we see my experience with CHIP, the Complete Health Improvement Program, kind of opened my eyes to that. We see HDL that runs a little lower than usual in, pay, in people who are on a plant-based diet. Yeah. And, you know, one way is sort of a simplistic way of looking at it is that, you know, HDL really are the sort of the dump trucks. They're, they're, the, they're the cholesterol that removes the cholesterol from your circulation. And when your numbers are really low, your HDL drops because you don't need that much removal, right? That's, a, of course, an oversimplification. But I honestly never look at HDL in isolation. Never anymore. I always look at it as part of that non-HDL equation. Yeah. yeah. We, we thought for a while, and this is kind of an interesting story. We, we thought, for, I'll make it short. We thought for a while that, um, you know, if we just raised HDL, that would be a good thing. I right. remember, you know, Time Magazine, I think they were calling it, you know, the HDL infusion, Drano for the heart. Yeah. And so we've looked into a number of medicines that will raise HDL. And there's a whole class called CETP inhibitors. Um, and what a failure. So the, the first one that they used raised HDL by about 60%, except that more people getting the drug died than got the placebo. And it turns out that they attributed that maybe to a slight rise in, in, in blood pressure in people who were taking the drug. And they called that unfortunate death off an off-target effect. I call it death. And then the, the next drug that they rolled out was a wash. It didn't do anything. And we're still looking at a couple, um, but you know, it was sort of a failed experiment. So HDL, uh, I just don't look at it in isolation is, is the short answer. Yeah, yeah. Um... Let's, let's go back to Bill for a second. So Bill, Bill went in, <clears throat> had a cholesterol 149 on statins. Um, they did a catheterization mm -hmm. that then signaled that he should have a stent. Now, knowing what you know now, um, and I understand that you're not looking at Bill's catheterization or anything like that, but do you think that stents are like the way to go and the answer, or is there a more powerful tool that's out there? That's, that's really an excellent question. Um, you know, I think it depends. Um, if you're having a heart attack and you yep. have, you know, an elevated uh, blood test called a troponin that shows that there's been some heart damage and we do a heart catheterization and we see what we believe is what we would call an active plaque, meaning it, it is ruptured, there's blood clot formation on it and it is impeding the blood flow downstream and heart muscle cells are dying. That's a heart attack. If you're having a heart attack, you should have that, that atheroma, that cholesterol buildup stented, that narrowing, that stenosis, that needs to be stented. You need to, you need to stop the heart attack. Right. And then you need to talk about a plant-based diet and lifestyle medicine in general. Um, you know, if somebody has stable angina, yeah, you have your, your, 
walking down the street, walking your dog up the hill, you get a little bit of shortness of breath, a little bit of some weird tightness feeling in your chest. You can still walk, but it's uncomfortable. It goes away when you crest the hill and come down. And, and it's a stable situation. Then I think you have a lot of options. So the, the option, you, you could have that stented. It would certainly alleviate your chest discomfort, mm -hmm. but you don't have to have it stented. You could certainly adopt a plant-based diet increase your nitric oxide, which your dad will speak to that dilates the blood vessels. Yeah. And, and your angina may be relieved with that alone. It's all about angina relief when it comes to stable angina. And that's where a plant-based diet really could be, clearly could be the first choice in my opinion. And what, what have you found with your patients? Like how quickly can you stabilize slash get rid of that angina when following like a plant-based diet? Uh, within a week days to, you know, four to 14 days, one week. That's, uh, that's pretty darn quick. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Uh, right. Uh, I am truly amazed how many people I run into that either have personally said that they've had to, you know, they, they went in for a, just a checkup. They were put on the treadmill they failed their stress test. And the next thing they know, they were wheeled in for emergency bypass operation or a stent yeah. or angioplasty, yeah. literally the next day, the next day, because it was yeah. considered life-threatening. Do right. you have an opinion on that? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's stress tests, there's abnormal stress tests, and then there's abnormal stress tests. So it's, it's very different. If, if you went in for a stress test and you went one minute, on the treadmill, which is, you know, sleepwalking and your heart muscle squeezing function decline and you have a million blockages, you could be in a situation where we feel like, you know, this is a disaster stress test. Maybe we need to think about bypass surgery and then we need to talk about a plant-based diet to keep these things open. That's very different from somebody who might go on a treadmill for, you know, a long time. A, a, a very low risk yet abnormal stress test. Mm -hmm. And we do the cath, which honestly, you could argue you don't even need to do the cath, right? It was a low risk stress test. Just treat the patient with the plant-based diet and be done. Um, but because, you know, you know how this goes, we end up doing a heart catheterization and, and lo and behold, we find- Wait, Let me stop you for a sec. Yeah. So, so let, let everybody know what exactly is a heart, heart catheterization? What, what happens there? So we're, we're going to go in through, we used to go in through the groin, the, one of the arteries in the groin to run a little tube, this, you know, about pencil lead thick, uh, this little tube called a catheter. It goes up to your heart arteries and we literally squirt dye in your heart arteries and we take x-ray pictures. You're lying on a table naked with a big, you know, sheet over you. Um, and we take x-ray pictures of the block of the, of the uh, dye in your heart arteries. We, now we tend to go through the radial artery it's just much easier to sit up in bed and recover from. You can walk around. It's just easier for the patient. Frankly, it's a little bit easier for the doctor now. Um, so, you know, I is think the same thing? Is that the same thing as an angiogram catheterization? Yeah. A heart catheterization is an angiogram. Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, well, yeah, it's a coronary angiogram. You can do angiograms and angio blood vessel gram x-ray. You can do angiograms at the neck arteries and any other arteries as well, of course. So it's a coronary heart artery angiogram. Um, so, you know, a low risk stress test at a high workload running up a hill, for example, no symptoms, but a little bit of a 
decreased area of blood flow on a, on the on the scan um, or on the echocardiogram. I wouldn't recommend a catheterization to that patient, but a number of patients do end up getting a catheterization, an angiogram. And then we find, you know, three, we'll say three 70% blockages. Right. Those are stable. Those are clearly stable. This patient just ran up a hill. In fact, you probably did better than the doctor could have done who read the test, right? Right. And then they say, oh, you got three blockages. You need a, you need a, uh, cabbage. You need, you need open heart surgery to fix that. No, you don't. You don't. Right. Now there are subsets of patients in whom we might consider that, right? If you're a diabetic with blockages in the major vessels and your heart muscle squeezing function was weakened, one could argue that maybe you do need bypass surgery because there may be a mortality benefit in that subset of patients. But that is a very small subset of patients. And frankly, those are not the patients that, you know, do nine minutes on the treadmill and have a low risk stress test in the first place. By default, yeah. that's just not a low risk stress test. Yeah. I was just talking to a gentleman the other two days ago, and he told me that his father went in for one of these, uh, you know, stress tests. Next morning, found himself um, having emergency, open heart mm -hmm. surgery, had mm -hmm. eight eight bypasses. Have you ever heard of eight bypasses before? No, that'd be unusual. You know, we, we, what the thought is while you're in there, let's quote, fix everything. It doesn't take that long, you know, to tie in one more vein from your yeah. leg to your heart arteries. So, you know, if you do say you had five and you have three more, it's just not gonna, it's going to take you 15 minutes to do three more. The problem is, um, you know, that most of those, a significant number of those are just going to, they're not going to take, they're going to close off as we yeah. discussed on the podcast within a, you know, certain period of time. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, let's transition right now to a, um, another kind of, I think, culprit of, of heart disease and that's TMAO. Mm. trimethylamine oxide, which wasn't even on the radar, I think, before 2011, 2012. I think the, the first research came out of the Cleveland Clinic. Um, I think it was in 2013, if I'm not mistaken. But can you can you let the audience know kind of what TMA is, what foods carry or, or you know, promote TMAO and uh, and, and why it's a bad thing? <laughs> TMAO is, is a bad actor in a lot of ways. It's, it, it's, it's a byproduct of carnitine metabolism that we see from animal protein metabolism. And it's involved with increased cardiovascular risk, increased congestive heart failure risk, increased risk of certain cancers. Uh, it, it's, um, it's just another reason to, to avoid the animal proteins and steer more towards the plant proteins. Right. And, um, yeah, and it's in, I mean, it's, it's in fish, it's in all dairy products. Um, it's Animal this, this hellish molecule that, uh, I think I heard, and I don't know if it's true, that is almost, you know, two times more kind of hazardous than like an elevated cholesterol, but, um, I'm not a lipidologist, so I, I can't speak to that. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard that exact data that is two times more dangerous, but it's uh, certainly on the list of things that you want to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, <clears throat> so for this, 
for this audience, and maybe you know, not everybody here has 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 heard you on the podcast. Can you um, kind of re- refresh for some of these people? What was it that inspired you to mm-hmm. to go down this path, and then also um, make it so that you were the first person to receive the lifestyle medicine certification in late 2017? So I, I never get tired of telling this story. Um, I, I saw in about 2013, maybe, I saw a patient who honestly is crazy how this all comes together. He lived part of the year up in Cleveland or near Cleveland and part of the year in Black Mountain, which is east of Asheville. And mid 60s, uh, businessman um, came to see me for a second opinion. And that was interesting in itself because, you know, usually the, the private practice cardiologist is the one sending the patient somewhere else to an academic institution for a second opinion. This was the reverse. He had, he had been given the opinion from a respected academic institution that he needed a third cabbage, a third open heart coronary artery bypass grafting surgery. Yeah. And he, he was frustrated. Uh, he was having exertional chest pain, angina or angina, either pronunciation is correct. Um, every day, he was taking nitroglycerin literally every day to walk the dog to his quality of life suffered significantly. And as fate would have it, uh, I had a copy of your dad's book mm. and a patient, another patient had given that to me. Uh, because I was already interested in this sort of thing, but just didn't have a lot of uh, information about it. And so I, I decided that this patient would benefit from that book. He had stable symptoms, as we discussed previously. He did not have, there was nothing about his symptoms suggested that there was an active plaque or blood clot formation. He just had stable angina. And I said, why don't you try this? If it gets worse, call me you know, if things accelerate, we can always change the course. Um, but if you're stable, let me see you back in three months. And so he went all in with both feet because this man was very motivated. You know, he was all about reversing his symptoms. Yeah. And uh, so he went right in from standard American diet, SAD, S-A-D, to a whole food plant-based diet, you know, no added oils. And I honestly, I kind of forgot about it. I mean, I was busy. So in three months, he came back. And I literally, and this is the honest truth. I saw him across the room and I thought, who is that guy? And as he walked into the room past me, I thought, that's, that's that guy that I gave prevent reverse heart disease to. <laughs> and, and I'm not kidding. He, he looked younger. He looked more vibrant. He looked like a different man. And so I was pretty excited to go in and talk to him. So I, I went in. I said, well, tell me what happened. He said, I've lost 20. I went in completely. No, I mean, there was no ease in, right? I just went, boom, overnight. Within a week of changing my diet, I have not used a single nitroglycerin in three months. I'm walking on a treadmill and I can't remember the speed in the incline. It doesn't matter. For 30 minutes a day, I've lost 27 pounds. My cholesterol has dropped 100 points. I want to come off my Zetia, which is another cholesterol lowering, not a statin. And I want to decrease my statin. Do you think that's reasonable? And I said, hold on. <laughs> that, that's like the low hanging fruit here, right? I mean, I, let's talk about 
the fact that you haven't used a single nitroglycerin in three months within a week of changing your diet. Now that all the other stuff's remarkable in itself, right? 27 pounds, hundred points. But the thing that just blew me away was the fact that he had not had any angina. And honestly, that was the, that was, that was the turning point for me. That's when I said, you know what, this works better than what I've been trained to do. And that's the truth. Um, it was a hard truth because I, I had sort of a good thing going. Yeah. And I, I was a little reluctant, honestly. I mean, I think a lot of people are in my situation may have been reluctant to make a change. It's a big change for me to change, change your career. But that was the beginning. That was when I, I, I can look back and trace everything back to that moment. He mm. still sends me Christmas cards and, and he's a, just a wonderful guy. Now, wasn't there, and I don't think this was the same guy, who, wasn't there another gentleman that came to you and was yep. looking at his third open heart surgery? No, well, I've had two patients who had had, sadly, I'd had two patients before this man came, the one that we just spoke of, yeah. who had had three bypass surgeries. And he asked me, the, the, the patient that we were just talking about, yeah. had asked me, have you ever had a patient who's had three bypass surgeries? And I said, yes. He said, how many? And I said, well, I can think of two off the top of my head. He said, well, how, how did they do? And I said, you know, they, they lived for about another three years. Because at that point, you've kind of used all your bypasses that, you know, you have in your own body. You have to use a cadaver uh, bypass. You have to use a cadaver vein. And it just doesn't work. Right. Right. He was not going to get a quality of life um, that he wanted or, frankly, the survival that he wanted with that third bypass surgery. That's just a desperation move. Yeah. Well, you know, it's... um... You know, sometimes I'll talk to my father and I remember one time he had um, counseled a gentleman who I believe was in his 40s and had just gotten his 47th stent, right? 47th stent. I mean, that to me is just surgical surgical whack-a-mole where you're absolutely doing nothing to get to the root causation of this disease, which we're going to talk about here in a second with, with, with my father, but, but um, I mean, what, I, what does that make you think of when somebody goes back for their 47th stint? Um, well, my first thought is well, what makes you think, <laughs> what about your history here makes you think that this is the solution, right? <laughs> Did you on the 46th stint say maybe the 47th is going to be the magic stint? Um you know, it's just, it's, I think it speaks to so many things, Rip. It speaks to the fact that doctors don't know. Um, they, we, need, we continue to need to educate doctors about the power of plant-based nutrition. They just don't know. They know more now than they, they have. Things are moving in the right direction. But um, doctors don't know. Um, you know, I think there are economic incentives that, um, you know, lead to that 47th stint. And I'm not saying that doctors are unethical in any way. Sure. I just, the system set up so, to support that being the answer and, and not what really is the answer. And, you know, we're so focused on cardiovascular disease and that that's, I agree, I get it. That's what we're talking about tonight. And, and certainly appropriately. So, but, you know, the stent is, is, is opening up that one little segment of the vessel. And then we're going to put them on a medicine for their cholesterol on a medicine for their blood pressure and a medicine for their stent and a medicine for their obesity and medicine for their diabetes and medicine for whatever else. It, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It, we know it doesn't work because you're getting your 47th stent. Yeah. So why not, why not 
change the way you live, change the way you eat and address it all at the same time. There are just so many reasons that we don't offer that. But, but um, you know, I'm optimistic, I, I think, because of what you're doing and what your dad's doing, your mom's doing, and the whole Plant Strong movement. Um, I think we can get there. Mm-hmm. I really do. We, we have a lot of people that are, are already asking some questions in the chat room uh, right. about uh, high blood pressure. What have you seen when it comes to uh, getting some of your patients' blood pressure down uh, using lifestyle medicine? Oh, my goodness. It works so well. I mean, it works so well. There's so many little things, too, that you can do. Um, interestingly, my son, who's very fit, 19-year-old soccer player in college, um, has had some struggles with high blood pressure. Uh, and, and we're going to do a little bit of a, a deeper dive into that this summer and look at some secondary causes and why that may be. We did our own, this is just a little anecdotal thing, but we did our own uh, intervention with him this past summer when he was home and said, you know, I had just read as part of my recertification, my, my maintenance of certification for the Lifestyle Medicine Board, uh, an article looking specifically at flax meal, ground flaxseed, flax meal, because you have to grind it because they'll just pass right through and, and you, won't, you, won't, you can't digest the, the coating very well, the shell. And it dropped systolic blood pressure, the top number, by about nine millimeters of mercury, four tablespoons of ground flax meal daily in nine weeks, lowered systolic blood pressure by nine points and lowered diastolic blood pressure, the bottom number by five points. That is better than what you would get with most of the starting doses of the blood pressure medicines that we see, you know, ACE inhibitors, angiotensin receptor blockers, amlodipine, all those diuretics. Um, and we plotted his blood pressure for four weeks and it, it dropped about 10 over five in about three weeks from flax meal. So it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, that's just, and that's just flax when you yeah. add in everything else and there's weight loss and it just, it's all synergistic. I, I really like Colin Campbell's sort of whole, his book whole, the yeah. holistic model. Mm. It's um, there's not one answer. It's, it's, it's all of the different phytonutrients and phytochemicals and vitamins and minerals and fiber in the plants that work synergistically to address it all again. But yes, and blood pressure will drop dramatically. Yeah. Dramatically. No, you're exactly right. He, he, it's, it's the symphony. It's the symphony of all, all the components of a whole food plant-based diet that work together synergistically to create that, you know, just optimal health. It's, it's not your body knows how to heal. If you will give it time. Yeah. It heals itself. It's remarkable. If you just support it, the problem is we just, you know, we take our medicine and then we have a cheese pizza for lunch and a, you know, double cheeseburger and a shake for supper. You keep beating it down and beating it down and you just don't have time. You don't give it time to, to do what it needs to do and knows how to do if you just let it. Yeah. So in addition to the ground flaxseed meal, was your son also doing a whole food plant-based or just the ground flaxseed meal? No, no. He was also eating, you know, uh, not 100%, probably more than 95% uh, whole food plant-based, certainly plant strong, yeah. if not plant perfect. Um, and, and frankly, I think he was probably eating less sodium, less salt than he gets at school. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's, he's really, he's, uh, he's really focused on, he texted me before his last soccer game. He said, dad, I had salad with extra beets today for, 
you know, the increased nitric oxide, yeah. um, I'm ready to go. So he's, uh, he gets it. He's, um, he's, it's been an interesting journey for him because he's, um, he's had a fun time with his other teammates, you know, trying to show them why he eats the way he does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, a, you are a good example. That's good. I have, we tried to be. Yep. Yep. All right. Tell you what, our, our 30 minutes is up. So if you wouldn't mind hanging around, I'm going to bring you back Great. Uh, in a little bit for the Q and a session with everybody else, but thank, thank you for the last 30 minutes and I'll, we'll talk to you in just a little bit. Sounds great. Have fun. You could sign off. We'll bring in, uh, bring in my dad. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Hey, I'm I'm just waiting for a sec. Brian Brian Aspel, I'm most appreciative of his wisdom. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he he, obviously he was very inspired by uh, the Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease book, which... Look at this. We just happen to have it right here. There it is. There's the baby that got it all started right there. Um, So what I want to do with you over the next 30 minutes or so, uh, Daddy, is uh, talk about the endothelium, talk about nitric oxide, why you're such a fan of people um, learning how to boost their nitric oxide production and at the same time, make sure they're protecting and not injuring their endothelium. Uh, but before I hand it over to you, can we just, sh- I'm gonna share with everybody my screen here for a second. And I wanna show them this before and after. So uh, can, you, can you see that? That's not- Okay, hold on. Can you see that? There you go. So, so these are some before and after angiograms. I'm going to let you explain, um, Daddy, exactly what's going on here. But I just we just want people to know that this is what can happen in in some people that are are willing to embrace the message that that we're um, sharing with people tonight. So, what's going on here, Daddy? Well, this is an example of the uh, catheterization or the angiogram that Dr. Aspel was mentioning earlier. And the reason we chose this one is that this was a 45-year-old gentleman from Florida who had a heart attack in July of 2017. And it, one of the views of his vessels showed the one that you see here. This is a circumflex artery going to the back of the heart. And you can see where the arrow was pointing how narrow uh, it is. That was uh, defined as an 80% blockage uh, in this uh, circumflex artery. And his cardiologist, because of some other blockages, felt that he should have an operation to bypass this, a so-called cabbage, coronary artery bypass surgery. Now, the gentleman was not too keen about the magnitude of the operation that was going to be required. And so he said to the cardiologist, look, I'm really going to try to do this with uh, nutrition. I've read this book, (laughs) Prevent Reverse Heart Disease, and I think there may be something to this. So uh, the next year went along, and he had another angiogram uh, in 
July of 2018, which you're now pointing to, and you can see the circumflex is no longer 80% blocked. It is now described as being 40% blocked. So by this time, the, uh, the cardiologist was a bit of a believer, but lo and behold, the patient changed cardiologist. And a year and a half later, uh, his new cardiologist said it was time to really check up on that again. And I think and you can see the third and final one where the, uh, the blockage is now completely gone. Now, the only way that I found out about this was after this third angiogram, the patient uh, wrote me a letter uh, thanking me for writing the book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, and discussed his journey uh, through having this. But <clears throat> I, the reason I'm delighted that you decided to show this is that it really does send a, a message that I think really everybody who has cardiovascular disease should be offered the option uh, of having plant-based nutrition. Because when you think about it today, we've heard that something like 520,000 Americans have died of COVID-19. And yet at the same time, probably another 600,000 are dying of strokes and heart attacks. Now, we make such a hullabaloo, rightfully so, about the pandemic, but the 600,000 people who have died of cardiovascular disease, we sort of say, well, that's unfortunate. Mm. And that, that truly is no longer accept acceptable. We, have, we are much better than that. Yeah. Okay, so, um, well, I have, I have a bunch of questions for you. So the, would you say that, so his results were pretty remarkable. Just actually Joe, Joe Crow's were pretty remarkable as well. And I'm wondering how much of that is because of their age, they're in their forties and maybe the, some, the, the, the blockage as you yeah. hasn't, hasn't calcified yet. Yeah. You bring up an excellent point. Uh, no question. It, it, it is, seems to be that in the younger patients who have a plaque, which is younger and the plaque may beat up, may made up of inflammation, fat and cholesterol and the body can do a truly remarkable job of reversing that. But let's take the older patients, with a plaque perhaps is made up of uh, scar and fibrosis and calcification, that's gonna be pretty stubborn. Uh, and I think we, if we refer back to the patient that Dr. Asbill talked about who uh, had that remarkable turnaround and said that his pain had gone away in six days. We do see that frequently, but uh, in all honesty, Nobody has washed out that plaque in what we call the epicardial coronary artery uh, within six days. Mm. Uh, and we were able to show, actually there's a picture in our book of a PET scan where there's an ischemic area that is short on blood supply that is turned around in just, again, three weeks. We repeated the PET scan and we were able to show that the area that formerly was deprived of blood supply was now receiving it just three weeks. And I don't know of anybody who would say you could wash out a plaque in the epicardial coronary artery that short of time. By epicardial, I mean the three main coronary arteries that nourish the heart. When they start out, they're riding on the surface of the heart, epicardial. And, not, and it's during their epicardial voyage, that is when they pick up all the publicity with stents and bypasses. But where do they go? All three of those arteries 
eventually dive into the heart muscle. And I don't know if you remember, but you gave me a wonderful slide that oh. <laughs> used all the time for that. But where those arteries go, if you look at this uh, slide where there is no muscle in the heart, all you're looking at are the vessels. Once they dive into the heart muscle, you can see all these interconnecting small, tiny vessels, literally thousands of them. And I wanted to get information about this. So I called Rodriguez, who was chairman of the Cleveland Clinic uh, uh, Division of Cardiovascular Pathology. And he dissects about 200 hearts a year from the, from the deceased. And I asked him, how often do you ever see in the coronary artery, once it has dived into the heart muscle, how often do you ever see good old standard garden variety plaque? Mm -hmm. And the answer, never. Right. Once in a great while, maybe with a patient with severe diabetes, but other than that, never. Now I thought I had, we now had the answer to why it is that these patients were getting rid of their angina within six days. Because when they first come to see us, and we're going to get to this in a minute. Their endothelial cells, when we first see them, are just so absolutely beaten down. Hmm. They're barely making that magic molecule of gas, nitric oxide. And they are now making two molecules that are vasoconstrictor. Your endothelial cell has become your enemy. It is making endothelin and thromboxane, which tend to constrict. So that entire intramuscular really a chorus of thousands and thousands of these wonderful, small, tiny intramuscular arteries are all pinched or crimped. Mm. And as soon as patients start eating correctly, in, up goes the nitric oxide and they start making those uh, vasoconstrictors. Now you're going to ask me probably what is the endothelial cell? Well, yeah, no, tell, tell us about the endothelium and the endothelial cells and why that's so important. When I, uh, when I started this back in 1984, really, we just didn't really have much information about the physiology of the, uh, <clears throat> the vessel. And it was, you know, anatomically, the endothelial cells, which are lining the delicate innermost lining of the artery, uh, were thought of back in the 70s and 80s, just these cute little red bricks that were lining these wonderful pipes of ours. That all changed in 1980 when Dr. Fershkoff, working in his lab in Brooklyn, <clears throat> was taking the largest blood vessel in the rodent, the aorta. And he would then do this sort of spiral staircase cut on it, right through the endothelium. Then he would immerse it in a bath of saline and it would constrict. But one day, he decided not to do the cut. No injury to the endothelium. He immersed it and it dilated. Did it with another one? It dilated. Now, suddenly, the race was on globally. What was the EDRF that Dr. Fershkot had discovered? Endothelial-derived relaxation factor. You know, it kind of rolls right, right off your tongue. Yep. Thank God. Thank God. That term was with us for only eight years. Because in 1988, three men... Dr. Fershkot, Dr. Murad, Dr. Louis Narrow discovered that the EDRF was a gas, nitric oxide. And for that discovery, it was actually uh, 
10 years later, those three men received the Nobel Prize for discovering the gas nitric oxide. And you're probably saying, wait a minute, what is it about a gas like nitric oxide that it deserves a Nobel Prize? Why does that deserve a Nobel Prize? <laughs> <laughs> you got it, Rip. Yeah. So they, uh, <clears throat> what are the functions of nitric oxide that make it so remarkable? One, nitric oxide is it really is the, the salvation and the protection of all of our blood vessels because of its remarkable functions. One, nitric oxide will keep all the cellular elements within our bloodstream flowing smoothly like Teflon rather than Velcro. It keeps things from getting sticky. Number two, nitric oxide is the strongest blood vessel dilator in the body. When you climb stairs, the arteries to your heart, the arteries to your legs, they widen, they dilate. That's nitric oxide. Number three, nitric oxide will protect the wall of the artery from becoming thickened, stiff, or inflamed, protect you from getting high blood pressure or hypertension. Number four. Now, number four is the absolute key. A safe and normal amount of nitric oxide will protect us all from ever developing any blockages or plaque. So literally, everybody on the planet Earth, whether they're from London, Berlin, Chicago, New York, Asheville, or Black Mountain, if they have cardiovascular disease by now, it is because in the previous decades, they have so sufficiently trashed, injured, compromised and turned their endothelial system into an absolute train wreck. Mm. They no longer have enough nitric oxide to protect themselves from making these blockages or plaque. However, the good news is this, this is not a malignancy. This is a completely benign foodborne illness. And once you can get patients to understand that never, never, ever again, are they to pass a single morsel yeah. that is going to further injure an already trained wrecked endothelium, then the endothelium begins to recover, makes enough nitric oxide so we can not only halt disease progression, but we often see elements, as you've just seen, of disease yeah. reversal. So let me ask you this. I think that the, the, the next obvious follow-up question is, so what foods trash your endothelium? And then what foods can you eat that will allow your nitric oxide to blossom. All right, what are the foods that every time they pass your lips, we injure the endothelium? Ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Any drop of oil, olive oil, corn oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, coconut oil, palm oil, oil in a cracker, oil in a piece of bread, oil in a salad dressing. Oil injures endothelial cells. Matter of fact, in 2019, in the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention, I wrote an article on oil entitled, Is Oil Healthy? Where I review the animal studies <clears throat> and the human studies showing how oil injures en uh, endothelial cells. Hmm. So we got rid of the oil. Also, anything with a mother or a face, meat, fish, chicken, fowl, turkey, and eggs, and also, no dairy, milk, cream, butter, cheese, ice cream, and yogurt. Also, no sugary drinks, diet colas, Pepsi or Coke. And we don't like sugar, so that means no sugary foods, cakes, pies, cookies, stevia, agave, excesses of maple syrup, molasses, and honey. 
And for my patients, I guess you could say I'm a bit of an outlier here. I don't like them to have any peanuts, nut, uh, nut butters, or peanut butter, or cashew sauce, nuts. or avocado. Nuts. Now, people who don't have heart disease, that's, that's okay. <laughs> and then finally, I don't like coffee with caffeine. Uh, decaf, yes, but coffee with caffeine, no. Why? Because there's an Italian and a Greek study showing how ingestion of coffee with caffeine when you do a regular return test, you can. Show the decrease in outpouring of my eat. So well, where are you going to eat? Well, well, but, but before 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 I, I ask you that, let me ask you this. Um, do, do we know exactly how meat, dairy, oil, how it how it harms and injures and trashes the endothelium? Probably mostly through the uh, free, uh, formation of free radicals, oxidation. And when you start that, then you get the whole cascade of really nasty and nasty uh, enzymes that start to form, like superoxide ion, uh, uh, tumor necrosis factor alpha. I mean, just a bunch of nasty, nasty enzymes at the beginning. And what you do is, you then injure the glycocalyx, which is this tiny little delicate membrane covering the endothelial cell. Once you injure that, now yeah. you've exposed your endothelial so that if it has a, 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 a crypt, a fissure, a crack, an opening, now in that, you, in other words, you've, you've, no, you've lost your endothelial fortress. Yeah. When you're eating plant-based, you've got an endothelial fortress. You've got a few extra molecules of cholesterol. Maybe your cholesterol is 210, 220. You're not going to have any heart, heart disease because you have literally eaten yourself into a wonderful endothelial fortress. And I, yeah. That's, yeah. And I think, I think, I mean, you mentioned it's in your arteries, but isn't, doesn't the endothelium line every vessel in our body, like 65,000 miles of our vessels? You're, yeah. That's why you're protecting your legs. You're, Renal arteries, your carotid arteries, the brain, yes, all the blood vessels are protected by this. You, you can't just yeah. and have it be that selective to the heart. Yeah, yeah, which is beautiful. Um, so what foods are we going to eat? That, I, that are gonna yeah, all these marvelous, I should mention first, let's take somebody who's an obese patient, though, all right? So we'll start them off. They can have grain, all right? But eat the grain as grain. That is to say, if it's going to be bulgur wheat, uh, it's going to be brown rice, it may be barley and rye and buckwheat and farro and quinoa. But I, for the patients who have weight issues, I do not like them to have any flour. Uh, that is to say, pasta, bread, rolls, and bagels, because uh, they've had a problem with the, an excess of calories as it is. And if they can... Uh, understand that when you take a grain and you grind it into flour, you really have done a nasty deal to its nutri nutrition. You really compromise it. Now the flour manufacturers know this. So they sprinkle a little bit of nutrient back in their product. Now they call it enrich. But what you're getting is lousy nutrition and a lot of empty calories. So we can try to get them to, those are the overweight. What's your definition? What's your definition of being overweight? Uh, when you look in the mirror. <laughs> no, but I, but is it 50 pounds? Is it 25 pounds? Um, I don't know if it's, if it's 10 pounds, let's kick it in. Why, why not 
I, I, anybody who's over, I think is overweight, we want to employ that strategy. Yes. Okay. All right. So we got uh, them to have the grain. They're going to have 101 different types of legumes, lentils, and beans. All these marvelous red, yellow, and green leafy vegetables, white potatoes, sweet potatoes, uh, and some uh, and some fruit. And you know where some wonderful recipes are. Yeah, yeah. And he I, needs to tell you about the green leafies, what, what they are. Yeah, we're, we're getting there, and and, and patience, patience. So, yeah. what? so those are the foods. We know what we're not going to eat. We know what we're going to eat uh, to not destroy our endothelium. Um, what do we want to eat to maximize the nitric oxide production that uh, those three guys won the Nobel Prize for? Well, a couple of points yeah. about, uh, we talked about the functions of nitric oxide and I can, I, can just, I can just see your audience now saying to themselves, I wonder what my level of nitric oxide is, right? Now, unfortunately, we don't have that to readily measure in the office. I'll just share with you how they do it from a research standpoint. You take the ultrasound probe and place it over the brachial artery at the elbow, and there's the diameter of the brachial artery. Then for five minutes, you encircle an arm, a blood pressure cuff around your upper arm and inflate it above systolic blood pressure so that for five minutes, you have absolutely zero blood flow to your forearm and hand. And then you release the cuff and immediately with the ultrasound probe, remeasure the new diameter of the brachial artery. And in the healthy individual, it'll be 30% greater than it was at the baseline originally. Now, the next thing that was in interest with the endothelial cell was the work of Robert Vogel, mm. who was chairman of cardiology at the University of Maryland when he took a number of healthy young subjects to a certain fast food restaurant that is characterized by arches, which are golden. Half of them had the cornflakes. The brachial artery tourniquet test was normal. The other half had the hash browns and sausage. Within 120 minutes, those healthy young students were unable to dilate the artery. That single meal of hash browns and sausage had so trashed, so injured, so compromised their endothelial capacity to make nitric oxide, they couldn't dilate the artery. But well, as they followed them into the late afternoon and early evening, they began to recover. Well, you know, what's fascinating too, is you mentioned Dr. Robert Vogel. He also was in the game changers with the three Miami Dolphin receivers when they actually drew the blood and then showed the viscosity of the blood after a plant-based meal and after a animal-based meal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, we, want, we were talking about uh, the fact that the endothelial production of this wonderful nitric oxide is, seems to be age-dependent. For instance, I had asked your audience, have they ever heard of an eight-year-old boy or girl have a heart attack? No. They've yeah. got nitric oxide coming out of their ears. But by the time you're 50, even if you're beautifully healthy, your endothelial cell production of nitric oxide is now 50% of what it was when you were 25. Mm. By the time you're over 80, you've lost 70% of your endothelial production of nitric oxide. That's not right. So we want to do, we want to take advantage 
And we want to do two things. We want to see if we can't goose up the endothelial production of nitric oxide. And we also want to take advantage of the new research in the last 12 or 14 years that shows us another avenue that the human body has for making nitric oxide. Huh. Now, how does that work? Well, let's suppose that you're a patient and I try to get you to imagine shrinking your head where you could crawl inside your artery. You see the blockage is an absolute cauldron of oxidative inflammation. So we need antioxidants, but no, do not go down to the health food store and buy a jug of pills that says antioxidant because it doesn't work and it's going to be harmful. I need you to get your antioxidants from food. All right, fair enough. What food? Food that is high in what we call ORAC value, O-R-A-C, oxygen radical absorptive capacity. So this means if you're having raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, and blackberries on your morning oat cereal, that's a terrific start. However, nothing, nothing, nothing is going to trump the antioxidant value of green leafy vegetables. So I need you to chew, not smoothies, not juicing. I want you to chew a green leafy vegetable six times a day that is roughly half the size of your fist after it has first been boiled or steamed in water five and a half to six minutes till it's nice and tender, then you must anoint it with multiple drops of a delightful balsamic or rice vinegar. Why? Because research has shown us that the acetic acid from those vinegars will restore the nitric oxide synthase enzyme contained within the endothelial cell that is responsible for making nitric oxide. So you're going to chew this alongside your breakfast cereal, again as a mid-morning snack, again with your luncheon sandwich, that's three, mid-afternoon, four, dinner time, five. And of course, I adore it when you have that evening snack of kale number six. Now, what is the second benefit from chewing the green? When you're chewing the green leafy vegetable, you are restoring the capacity of your bone marrow to once again make the endothelial progenitor cell. What do they do? The endothelial progenitor cell will replace your senescent, injured, worn out endothelial cells. Wonderful study on Japanese women, uh, actually, uh, that uh, supports that. Uh, that's where that data comes from. Then <clears throat> the uh, third benefit from chewing the green, and this is the most important of all, when you are chewing the green, you are chewing a green nitrate. That green nitrate is going to mix with the facultative anaerobic bacteria that reside in the crypts and grooves of your tongue. Those bacteria are going to reduce the green nitrate to a nitrite. Now, when you swallow the nitrite, it is your own gastric acid that will further reduce the nitrite you have swallowed to more nitric oxide, which can enter your nitric oxide pool. So think about it. For minimal expense, no side effects, from dawn to dusk, morning to night, you are absolutely replacing nitric oxide, the very molecule, the deficiency of which has given you this disease in the first place. So so for a lot of caveat to this. No, no, I, I, I'm going to uh, yeah, uh, let me let me get that to you. Let me let me ask you that. 
But so, so for everybody that's listening right now, I would imagine many of you are over the age of 40, 50, 60, 70. You're not producing as much nitric oxide as when you were a teenager. And so eating your, chewing your green leafies is a great way to supplement that. But what are some of the caveats that we need to be cautious of? Well, uh, the uh, caveat is um, toothpaste with fluoride public drinking water with fluoride and mouthwash will injure your beneficial mouth bacteria. And we do not like patients, if they can avoid it, to not take antacids because antacids will reduce the level of gastric acidity and they will be unable to reduce the nitrite to more nitric oxide. Right. What are the greens I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah, let's... Let's finish with that, and then we're going to bring in mommy because we're at we got one minute. All right. What are the greens I'm talking about? They are bok choy, Swiss chard, kale, collards, collard green, beet greens, mustard green, turnip greens, napa, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, cilantro, parsley, spinach, and arugula and asparagus. And the top five are kale, Swiss chard, spinach, arugula, beet greens, and beets. Finish up with that angio. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. So uh, let's show quickly. We'll show that before and after again. Uh, here we go. How powerful food can be. So there you go. That's that is uh, in in t- July 2017, and then this one was January 2020. January 2020. So uh, do the math on that. Is that what two and a half years? Yep. Two and a half years. Right, that's pretty amazing. Love it. All right, so let's bring up. Let me uh, think here. Uh, let's bring up Ann. Hey, Ann. Rep. Hi. So we, you know, I think uh, Brian and Daddy did a phenomenal job talking about a lot of the the science. Um, what I'd love to have you do is talk about how people can do this at home and what are like, let's just talk about eight or nine of your simple tips and, and, and tricks that you've learned over the last 36 years. All right, but before I do that, Rip, I wanna say that when we started this 34 years ago, there was no internet, no recipes, we knew nobody who did it. And everybody today who is jumping into this world is going into the crazy, horrible vegan junk food world because vegan is not synonymous with health and you have got to be so careful about the beyond meat all of the 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 oils in all these products for instance here is this lovely looking organic veggie garden straws and i just want you to hear the products that are in this cane sugar safflower oil buttermilk uh, palm shortening, sour cream powder, and two kinds of oil. You must read ingredients and you must be careful of this vegan, crazy junk food world. Right. What do you think of, uh, did you say diet cheese and? Oh yeah, all of those bread ingredients. And- if, I mean, uh, right now, we're talking to people with heart disease, this, yeah. your program. Yeah. So 
this is a very, I mean, this is the world with no meat, no oil, no dairy, no, no nuts. You can have some few seeds, uh, avocado, no coconut. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about right now. So, Right. I, so do you want me to tee you up? Cause I've got your, your nine kind of Anne's tips right in front of me. Should I got we, them right. I got them in front of me. I know, but, <laughs> but, but I got them in front of me. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Do you want to start with no oil or do you want to start with eat your greens? What do you want to do? Let's start with oil. We want to get yourselves armored up so you can, you know, face this world easily. And no oil is easy. Get rid of the oil you've got. Just throw it out. What are you going to do? Any liquid works. Onions are cooked by themselves. Mushrooms cooked by themselves. You can use little bits of vegetable broth, of, of wine, beer, whatever. But if you are using something like vegetable broth, you must read the the ingredients. And this is, although this is my last point, I'm gonna bring it up throughout. Read ingredients. For instance, Kitchen Basics is a lovely vegetable broth. And they have also come up with something called organic. And if you read the organic ones, they add three different kinds of sugar. Incredible. Who would have believed that? Instead, you need to use the engine two vegetable broth. That's, that's, that's the best, but you don't need oil. Uh, you don't need oil for cooking anything. It's tough when you get to salad dressing. And when we, we were fortunate <clears throat> that in Cleveland, a company called Sahara Cuisine came up with a product, a hummus. Now hummus is chickpeas, lemon and garlic, and traditionally tahini. For my husband's heart disease patients, he didn't want the oil or the tahini. They came up with a product that didn't have it. And there is one right now on the market called Cedars Fat and Oil Free, which is a hummus. It's easy to make your own. It's fun to be able to buy it. Yeah. This hummus, along with a really good balsamic vinegar, some mustard, and maybe some, an orange, orange juice, grapefruit juice, makes a great salad dressing that we love. And one of the key things is to find a balsamic vinegar that you like. And it's so interesting. There are stores around the company that sell them. This is called the Olive Tap. And you can go online and you will just not believe the variety of balsamic vinegars that are transformational. Okay, so Anne. And we, greens. Got, we got eight more to get through. So let's go to eat your greens. I'm going fast. Yeah. Fast, fast. So you got to get greens everywhere. But not just, you know, it's the whole rainbow you want, as Dr. Um, as, Will as Ball, you heard, Will as you heard Ball, earlier, <laughs> the, whole, the whole idea. Now, kale is great. You heard kale is so important. But I want to show you guys. A key thing with kale, look, it comes with this big fat stem. You want this kale to be like spinach with heft. So you've got to all become good strippers. That's part of making yourself heart attack proof, being a stripper. And so you hold that kale and you pull and you've got this stem, which you can cut up and put in your soup. And you've got this lovely handful of kale with this spinach. Then, then what do you what do you do with that? Do you chop it up or you just use your hands? You can use your hands or chop it either any way you want. And I 
Uh, we tend to boil our kale, but you can steam it. And I wanna show you, this is another, this is a red kale. And don't get turned off when you find a red kale because the more color in anything you eat, the more power that vegetable has. And the crazy thing is, when you cook this kale, it turns green and this purple stem turns green too. It's, wow. it's, it's crazy. So find a, find a salad dressing you love. I, have, I don't have enough time to give you all the wonderful ideas, but even just plain great balsamic vinegars are good on your salad. All right, next thing, let's talk about oats, why you love oats so much. Oh my God, oats, four reasons. They lower your cholesterol, they decrease inflammation, they're dose responsive, and they keep your blood sugar nice and steady. And I wanna tell you about my husband's breakfast. He takes the oats just from the can and he puts them in his bowl like that. And then he puts, and now he's gonna start putting four tablespoons of flaxseed meal <laughs> in here, as we just heard. Yeah. and um, or chia seeds for omega-3, and then tons of vegetable berries, frozen or fresh, and an alternative milk. That's his breakfast, loves it. Best other breakfast is to take um, just oats, uh, either old-fashioned oats or, or steel-cut oats, and smush up a banana, a ripe banana, put that in there and cook it. And it is so crazily sweet, you wouldn't believe it. And yeah. of course, there's always Rip's Big Bowl. Yeah, 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 yes. So let's talk now, let's go, let's go on to beans and beans and legumes. So, so you, so those are the, those are the three areas that are, to me are the most important and the toughest. Now beans and beans and legumes are great. and become a, use the whole bean and don't be afraid cook them there there you just stick them in the in water and you let them go and cook them until they're soft but if you buy beans in a can from the store make sure you get the sodium free because they are loaded with salt most of the beans and you can find them easily you just have to look yeah. And okay. then even if you even if you do wash off that can of beans that has sodium, you're only going to rinse off about two thirds of the sodium. That, that's right. So I, I, that's something important to do. And yeah. also, whatever you're eating, I mean, whether it's in a sal in the summer, a big salad with beans and frozen corn, and you've got a meal right there. Um, so you can put the bean, I mean, you can put beans anywhere and lentils are fantastic and one of the craziest things is red red lentils they dissolve quickly so they turn to liquid almost you could put them in pasta sauce and you wouldn't even know that they were in there yeah we so we love using red lentils to make um sloppy joes they make them yeah. in 10 minutes yeah 10 minutes i mean you you can it's it's lovely Yep. So lentils, beans, stick them everywhere you can possibly find. And then for, for whole grains. Number five, number five is whole grains. Whole grains. And the, the industry is so deceptive. You will think you're getting whole grains, maybe because they've covered them or because they call it so some semolina that sounds impressive. Make sure that whole is in front of wheat, that it's either rolled, stone ground, or cracked. 
and then you know that you've got whole wheat and um, it's great. I mean, it's, it's, you need that roughage, you need that fiber. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whole, whole grains rock. Like, and as Essie said, you know, um, if you're overweight, you might want to pass on the, the whole grain breads uh, and the flour, but otherwise um, if you're going to do bread, we recommend hundred percent whole grain bread, sprouted bread, stuff like that. Exactly. Um, now, the next thing I want to talk a little bit about salt and sugar. First of all, mm. salt. <clears throat> Talked about rinsing things. You know, one of the two of the places where there is so much salt, how much do I have enough time, Rip? Yeah, you got about you got about nine, nine minutes. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I can go back on things I skip. So so uh, bread is the there is so much sodium in bread. You've got to read ingredients. And when you read the ingredients on bread, you will not believe that one little piece is like 350 milligrams of sodium. So be careful about bread. And the best bread that you can get is that, um, that you can be sure is safe. And this bread made by Ezekiel, Dr. Asbel would like, because it is also has no sodium in it. It's made by Ezekiel. They make a number of different kinds. This one happens to be their low sodium one. Yeah. Well, isn't that, you know, what's interesting is I had on the Plant Strong podcast a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Michael Jacobson. I'm sorry, not doctor. Michael Jacobson. He wrote a book called Salt, right? And how the number one source of salt in the American diet actually comes from bread. Bread. bread right? 100 to 200 milligrams per slice. Most Americans are eating a lot of bread and uh, yeah, it adds up. Yeah. And the other crazy place where you get a lot of salt is in all the tomato products, unless you get it salt free. Yeah. So, so, so really, you yeah. know, about and, and, and the broths and the soups. Oh, and the broths. That's why you've got to go for uh, this because this is the lowest sodium broth of all. Ah. A little, a little uh, promotion. And then the other thing, and that is that we don't have salt in our house, which sort of horrifies all our kids, but we don't. And so in order to make something taste good still, try vinegar, try lemon, lime, and try hot sauces. And those three things really help where there is not much salt. Now, the, the other thing is sugar. And um, uh, you just have to begin to get rid of sugar in your life so you don't have that huge dessert urge. But one of the one of cool things to do is to freeze grapes. And a, one frozen grape is sweet and wet. It's like a delicious popsicle. Frozen cherries are also delicious. And the best possible dessert you can eat is you know, to get a frozen bananas. And if you can get it, get a Yonana machine and you put the frozen banana in and out comes the most incredible banana soft serve. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You put a little chocolate balsamic on it. Balsamics come in chocolate and you've yep. got heaven. So, what about balsamic uh, cherry or strawberry or something oh, like all, that? Oh, there, I mean, there, there's so many. There's a, you know, whatever you like, you can find in the balsamic world. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's stunning. Nice. 
So let's go. Do you want to go to uh, number seven, which is drinking your calories? Absolutely. I want you to drink your calories. Drink your calories. Oh, no, you want no, not drink your calories. Don't drink your calories. calories. That's right. Chew your food. Get that Vitamix and just let's wear up everything. (laughs) Chew your food because you are getting so many calories in these smoothies that you don't even realize you're getting. So if it chew, chew your food. And as you heard from my husband, Hey, by the way, I wanted to show you one thing when you're making your salad dressings, it's so cool to get a jar like this and then just mix them all up and extra you can put in your refrigerator. And what do you, what do you, what do you have in that dressing right there? And this dressing is hummus, balsamic vinegar, mustard and orange juice and ginger. I always put fresh ginger in everything. Hey, and the other thing is anywhere you can get turmeric, put it in everything. Turmeric. Okay. All my little kitchen tools are stained yellow from the turmeric. Now, are you talking fresh turmeric that you grind? Are you talking about like, I I use the powder. Okay. Okay. Sure. All right. Let's, let's talk reading ingredients. Okay, reading ingredients. Now, I also, I mentioned that one little thing. I want to just show you one other thing. This is a, a, a diced tomatoes. It's with basil and oregano. And in these diced tomatoes with basil and oregano, doesn't that sound as if it should be just delicious? Delicious. <laughs> Wait till you hear what's in this. It's got soybean oil, sugar, salt, onion, uh, uh and olive oil, two kinds of oil, and sugar and salt. So reading ingredients is such a key thing. And the other thing that I feel it's important to read ingredients on is that when the hydrogenated oils went out, coconut industry jumped in because they knew that they could get that taste feel. And so everything has got coconut in it of some kind, coconut oil, coconut milk, And one fourth cup of coconut milk, one fourth cup is 14 grams of fat. And of those 14, 10 are saturated fat. So if you want, if you love coconut and you have heart disease and you want to avoid all this saturated fat, you can get uh, coconut extract and one teaspoon of that plus a cup of alternative milk and you've got coconut milk without that saturated fat. Oh, lovely. That's great. That's a great tip, Anne. Uh, so what, what else about reading ingredients? Just, I, I have, I, I, well, I don't, I didn't bring any more of my examples. So well, no, those are, those are great. Well, I, I think, I think so. It's key. It's so deceptive. I mean, if, if you look at the Beyond Meat you will just be shocked at how many different kinds of oil and coconut oil is one of the first oils. Well, I think you just started out with the, with the kitchen basics, right? Holding up the two products. And, you know, just because a company makes one product that's really clean doesn't mean every product they make is clean. Uh, So you got to read those ingredients. Absolutely. Um, You also talked, you started out talking about vegan junk food, how you're just like not a fan of any of these products any longer, vegan products. I just think, I just think it is, um, it is, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's frightening. 
yeah. what, what you get oh. into. With it. I mean, you know, you go and you look and you see those gorgeous vegan cakes. Don't read the ingredients, which are this long. It's frightening. Yeah. They're good. So, Anne, Anne I want to do, I'm going to do a 30 second review of what <clears> you just did. <throat> so you started out with vegan junk food and why you got to be really careful with vegan junk food because it really is just junk, even if it's plant-based. No oil, right? You're not a fan of oil. And instead, there's other ways around oil, water, you know, um, onions, mushrooms, they create their own water. Yeah, and Rip, one other thing. You yeah. Believe it or not, for all your audience, and it yeah. sounds crazy, your taste changes. It's crazy how your taste changes. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. And you lose, I mean, I, I don't like salty things anymore. Yeah. I can't go out and even buy a vegan mm. soup. It's too salty. Yeah. So no oil. Then why we want to, we love eating your greens, right? You love kale. It's spinach with half oats, dose responsive, lower the cholesterol. What else? What are the other two things? Increase inflammation. They're Decrease like inflammation. And what's the last thing you said Four. can that you remember? Your blood, like, uh, blood sugar stubble. Yep. Beans and legumes, start introducing them into your, into your dishes, your salads, your sandwiches, your, um, you know, you name it. Whole grains, you love whole grains. Oh, we by the way, whole grains. Pizza, pizza, you know, pizza is great. And it's hard to find good pizza crust. But Engine 2 makes this beautiful, delicious pizza crust. It's we one do. of my favorite. But this is the trick, Rip. When you're making, when you're putting stuff on, you, if you if you strip and cut into bite-sized pieces and cook a whole lot of kale and mix it with a nice uh, low salt pasta sauce and spread that on first, you've got a great beginning to anything else in this pizza. Well, for anybody that's out there and you for some reason you've run out of bread in the house and your kids are just like jonesing for peanut butter and jelly. They, that makes a great open faced peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You can cut it into, you know, pieces that you want. Oh, it's, yeah. Cool. So sugar and salt, right? We got to be careful about the copious amounts of sugar and salt, salt that are everywhere. Drink your calories. I mean, don't drink your calories. <laughs> right. Right. We want to, we want to get the maximum impact out of our greens. So we don't want to uh, blend them up in a smoothie. Let's be sure we're reading ingredients. And uh, there you go. And I have one, I have something else to just yes, to yes. end. And that is, I want to read something that a patient wrote because I think it is so helpful for today's heart disease patients. Right. He said, um, this program is an anchor in the midst of a raging sea of ideas that don't really work. I feel planted as I maintain its regime. Mm. I love that because there's so many things out there that are tempting. But this, as just you heard in the examples from Dr. Asbel today, and plant-based eating is a secret passage to life and health. It's like falling down the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland and emerging on the other side where so many of the most common diseases and health issues are gone and the food is just all good. <laughs> it, is. it is. It is. Thank you. Thank you, Ann. All right. If you could turn off your screen and we're going to bring on Jim, Jim McNamara. Hey, here, Jim. He is the
Yep. Hey, Jim. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm waiting for you to pop up on my screen. Okay. Yeah, there we go. So, Jim, before we before we uh, kick this off, you're sitting in a room that you have converted into your movie room. You're a fan of movies. What movie do you recommend everybody watch? What's your favorite movie? I think my favorite movie, it's a toss-up between Waking Ned Divine and Forks Over Knives. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. So, yes. so Jim, you're, you're here tonight because I want you to share with uh, the listeners, our audience, your, your success story because it's, it's pretty powerful. What, how did you hear about this to begin with? Well, uh, throughout my vascular journey, uh, my vascular doctor had told me about a crazy doctor in Cleveland that he had worked with, who believed through his research that you could not only prevent, but reverse heart disease. So that's where I first heard about it. Uh, I went through a, I had a stroke uh, back in 2006. Uh, had both carotid arteries cleared out, one occluded immediately afterwards, so it failed. Uh, I've had bypass surgery on my leg to try to correct my peripheral artery disease. Um, that also failed. Uh, they tried to put a stent in prior to that, but once they got in, the blockage was so great, the stent would have served no purpose, so that they aborted that surgery. Uh, and then the morning after I had the bypass, uh, there was a clot somewhere, so they had to go in and try to remove the clot to save the bypass. Uh, they did go in, but they didn't save the bypass. Uh, after all of that, I went to see my general practitioner on a regular checkup, and he wanted me to go see a, a pre-diabetes doctor because my sugar and glucose levels were knocking on the door of pre-diabetes. And to be honest with you, I didn't even know there was such a thing as pre-diabetes. Um, but how, that, how, how old are you now when this is happening? Uh, let's see. In 2006, I had the stroke. The bypass I had in 2011. So this was 2010, rather. So this was 2010, 2011, right around then. Right. And how old are you, though? How old are you when this is happening? Uh, I had the stroke at the age of 55. Um, and okay. uh, the bypass when I was... Um, Early 60s, anyway. Okay. All right. So, okay. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a confluence of a lot of kind of nasty things that are going on. Yeah. And, and for somebody that I really never had any big health issues uh, in my life. So, for not having anything to deal with like that, to have this all just pour on me at one time, it was just, it was overwhelming. That's when we uh, tried to seek out another option. Right. And, and what was that option and what did that look like? Well, that option was going plant-based. Uh, <laughs> okay. When I came back from the, the doctor after the pre-diabetes um, talk, uh, my wife called, unbeknownst to me, she had called Dr. Resselston and uh, he had happened to have an opening that Friday at his seminar in Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, and I remember her telling me, telling him, she said, I, my husband doesn't even know about this yet. Uh, and I know he doesn't mix words. I, you probably know that better than anybody. But he said, well, he says, uh, 
is his life less important than going plant-based? We were in a seminar that Friday to, to make a long story short. Uh, and that was 10 years ago today. So 10 years ago today, you went to that seminar. Yes. And, and, and then can you remember what were your thoughts and feelings when you were walking out of that seminar, uh, you know, uh, six hours later? Oh, I sure do remember. Um, the information that I saw that your dad presented was just, yeah, I couldn't argue with it. I could not argue with it. And I remember walking out the door of that seminar thinking to myself, there's no way I can do this. There is absolutely no way I'll be able to do this. Um, but and, okay. And did you turn to your wife or on the car ride home? Were you like, honey, it makes sense, but I don't think we can do it. Is that kind of what, what your attitude was? That's pretty much, yeah, it was. And, uh, and like I say, I'd like to tip my hat right now to her because she jumped the board as well, which she had to. And, uh, so uh, it's quite a commitment, not only for me, but for her to actually make that very, very same commitment to a plant-based lifestyle. But yeah, it was, uh, uh, I mean, the night before it was St. Patrick's Day, we had corned beef and cabbage, you know, <laughs> okay. little did I know that was the last time I'd have that. Well, the, the corned beef anyway. Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, so how, it's been a decade, it's been 10 years and uh, what's happened to you over those 10 years as far as your health markers, any more strokes, any more stents, bypasses, prediabetes? Where are you with all that? Well, I, uh, the stroke, like I say, was what, 14 years ago? Yep. Uh, there has been absolutely no indications of a relapse of any stroke. Um, the, um, when I got the bypass done, I was getting cramping in my left calf when I would walk. And also worse than that, in my opinion, every night when I would go to bed, my left foot after being in bed for about an hour would get cold and my toes would tingle. Mm. And I'd have to drop my leg over the side of the bed and get some blood down there. After going plant-based, and I wish I would have kept better track of how soon after I went plant-based, but it was just within months, that tingling sensation was gone. I have ne never experienced it again. I think that's uh, neuropathy. That's what we call neuropathy, I think. But yeah, okay. Yeah, and it was, uh, it, it, it's wonderful to go to bed not having to worry about that thing. Uh, my doctor wanted me to, wanted me to go see the pre-diabetes doctor, and I told him, I said, Doc, look, I just started this plant-based diet. Let me go four weeks on this plant-based diet, and we'll do my blood work again. And if, the, if, if, it's, if, if it doesn't continue to improve or it gets worse, if it gets worse, I'll go see the pre-diabetes doctor. Well, it's been 10 years, and there's been no more talk of going to see a pre-diabetes doctor. So that's off the charts. Um, medications, Rip, I, I, was, I was on 80 milligrams of cholesterol. Um, my doctor wouldn't take me off, but I says, I'm going to cut it in half. I says, you're not telling me doc, I'm going to do it. We'll monitor it though. We'll get my blood work done every, you know, every six months or four months, whatever. And again, if there's any change, I'll go back to full dose. Uh, well, I got cut it down to 40. And then after two years of that, I got, I cut it down to 20. Um, I was on Coumadin after the surgery, the blood thinner. Uh, my surgeon told me I'd be on Coumadin for the rest of my life. Uh, I'm not on Coumadin anymore. That was about seven years ago I got off of that. 
uh, on the advice. Well, I worked with another surgeon. The other surgeon has since left town. Uh, but my doctor wanted me to hook up with somebody just because of my history to have somebody on deck in case something were to happen. Yeah. Uh, he looked at my blood work on my numbers and he says, I don't think you need to be on this blood thinner anymore. So I'm not on that either. Um, what are your numbers these days? Do you know what your numbers are? My cholesterol has been, been in double digits for 10 years now. Uh, it was as low as, and I got the chart right here, it was as low as 73 total cholesterol. That's the lowest I had. Now, uh, is, but that, it, is that also with a <clears throat> 20 milligrams of a statin? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then what does that mean? Does that mean your LDL is like uh, non-existent? <laughs> it, it is. I asked my dad, in fact, I asked your dad and he said with numbers that low, don't even worry about the high, the, the HDL and the LDL, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, and you know what, Rip, it's just so wonderful not to have that worry all the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, so what I'd love to know, was it, did you, did you find this difficult at first and how easy is it now that you've been doing this for 10 years? Well, I'd be lying if I said it was a snap from the get-go because yeah. it, it, there were times when it was tough. Uh, there are still times where that, you know, that little guy that sits on your shoulder whispering in your ear, ah, go ahead, it won't hurt you. But thank God this guy on this shoulder is there to, to help me out. Um, but there was some tough times, but I, I really kind of look back and, and just remind myself how important it is to stay true to myself. And I don't want to go down that road that I went down last time. I've had five vascular surgeries, four of which have failed. Yeah. Uh, so I know there's no guarantee with surgery either. Um, so I don't want to go down that road again. Uh, it's just, I don't want to do it. What is, so what, what is a, what is a typical day of food look like for Jim? Well, we try, we try to do the oatmeal every morning with the flaxseed meal, uh, blueberries on it. Um, uh, it's funny too, because if for some reason we miss the oatmeal in the morning, yeah. I make my own applesauce just with apples and a little bit of cinnamon and, uh, and, and put it in the mason jars like Ann held up earlier. And at night, I'll just have dry oatmeal and throw some applesauce on top of it. And I got my oats and uh, I got my dessert. You know, it's like a little strudel. Um, so every morning on Ann's advice, I do try to get the oatmeal. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. What about lunch? What about dinner? You have a, a go-to lunch and a go-to dinner? Well, we always have, I love kale. I'm fortunate there. I let, and it takes five minutes to steam kale, with, throw some balsamic on it. We always have the big box of salad in the, in the refrigerator, try and grab it whenever we can. Um, it's funny too, whenever one, one gal taught me this, she says, whenever I get hungry and want a snack, I go to the fridge, I do broccoli first. Before I eat anything, I'll grab a little piece of broccoli. She says, and sometimes that's enough to stave off that urge to have something else, which I thought was kind of clever. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we try to eat the, the lettuce, the, the greens whenever possible. Um, dinner time, my gosh, we've had stuffed cabbage, stuffed peppers, uh, Kung Pao chickpeas. We have pasta on Thursday nights. Uh, you know, we get into a routine. We try to do. Tuesday is taco night, but we'll just do like arugula and beans and brown rice and yeah. uh, goes on top of it. Um, so that, which really helps knowing that you have a night dedicated to a certain food. My favorite is leftover night. 
Well, leftovers, we just upscale those and do, you know, it's amazing what you can do with leftovers. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Now, um, what happened to your weight? Did you, has your, has your weight changed at all over the last 10 years or has that kind of stayed the same? Rip, I lost, I think 40 to 45 pounds within, I don't know, three months and it has never come back. Um, and it wasn't, and the nice thing is, is I don't have to diet anymore. I eat as whatever I want and as much as I want. And, yep. Yep. You know, are you are you able to exercise these yeah, days? Yeah, I still I still try to walk every day in the summertime. I, I bicycle as much as possible. Uh, you know, in a pretty good clip. And uh I, I try to walk every single day. Uh and I will say this, I still have a little bit of tightness in my left calf when I walk a great distance. Um, but it's nothing like it used to be. Right. You know? Right. What so before before I let you go and we bring in everybody else for uh, for a big Q and A panel here, um, what advice would you give for somebody that's out there that is listening right now and is thinking, I I wish I could do this, I just don't think I can. Yeah, yeah, that's a normal feeling, believe me. And uh, that's to borrow a phrase, it's, it's like one day at a time. Mm. Uh, just just you got to be true to yourself. You have to give yourself a chance. Uh, don't cheat. You know, that's the, the temptations will be there, but man, you feel pretty good when you beat that temptation. Um, yeah. and, and just stay with it. It's, 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 there's going to be people pulling for you. There's going to be naysayers, uh, ignore the naysayers and, and just hopefully you have some people around you that, that are pulling for you and encouraging you all the time. And, uh I mean, I'd be happy to be one of them. Anybody can give me a call anytime you want, and I'd be happy to to talk with you. Um, well, you know what? I, I would encourage you to go in and join our mighty networks, uh, where we where we have close to twenty thousand people that would love to have you be part of the community. Well, consider it done. Yeah, fan, fan, fantastic, Jim. So with that, Jim, let's bring in everybody else. We bring it back, uh, uh, Brian and Ann and Essie. Uh, let's start our Q and a panel. That'd be great. Uh, let's see. You got the gallery view there. Hey, everybody, Brian, did you, did you, uh, excuse yourself and go have some dinner? You did, but I'm back. You did. All right. Can you, can, I share, can you hey, share with us? Happy 10th anniversary. <laughs> go ahead. Hey, Jim, did you hear what Brian just said? I, I didn't know. I just said happy 10th anniversary to you. Oh, thank I, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it, Brian. I really do. It's oh, been yeah. a great it's been a great journey. One thing, Rep, I think you forgot <clears throat> while you were, were asking uh, something of uh, Jim McNamara. Uh, I think you ought to ask what happens to his uh, relatives and what was his influence? What was his others? influence? Yeah, that'd be great. What 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 was uh, your influence on your relatives? Oh my goodness gracious! I, I number one, like I say, my wife jumped aboard board, hundred uh, percent. I've got four kids. My oldest daughter has four kids. She's plant based. Uh, my brother in law and his wife went plant based. I mean, fanatically so. And it's funny because my brother in law said to me one time, he said, "Mac, he says, I'm sorry you had to go through everything you went through, but I'm glad you did." Because of what we learned from you saw what happened to you, we've changed our life and hopefully we don't have to enter that arena. Yeah. So it's been it's just been tremendous. And man, that's a pretty good feeling. Uh, you know, when 
when your family benefits from it. Uh, my yeah. nephew, my, ne my nephew had sent me a card. I hadn't seen him in, gosh, probably eight years since his wedding. He sent me a card from Florida thanking me uh, because he was diagnosed with uh, type two diabetes. But rather than go on drugs, he told his doctor he was going to try a plant-based diet. And instead of being reliant on drugs, he went plant-based and I guess things are working out pretty good for him. So those little things that, that where you affect people's lives like that, it's really a, a, an added benefit to this plant-based journey of mine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the first question that we have, and we got a, a ton that are rolling in through the chat room, but is, uh, and this is one that always comes up and I have an answer for it. Uh, but is it necessary to boil or steam your greens? Uh, I don't think it is. The latest research that I'm seeing is that, you know, the, the nitrates are actually more uh, active when the, the spinach, for example, is raw and not cooked. But uh, I'll defer to my father and mother on this one. Go ahead. Oh, my gosh. First of all, it, it's so hard to just chew and chew and chew and chew. It's so nice to have some of those greens cooked you can't yeah maybe i've had i've i think it was in uh, the book uh what was it tenth, <laughs> tenth one tenth human or something there was a, a message that suggested that indeed with cooking the the greens you do help the more thoroughly when you start chewing you break down the the cell membranes that have been cooked and you get much more availability of the, the uh, of the phytonutrients, but I have no problem with trouble if they're trying to do it six times a day. If, if you're just from expedience sake, the mid uh, the mid morning and the mid afternoon when you're maybe not near a microwave, uh, they can easily be managed by eating them raw. Okay, uh, you know what? A lot of people are asking, and, and it seems to be kind of very popular these days. I'm going to direct this to um, Brian: uh, is intermittent fasting. I'm wondering if you have an opinion on it, if, you know, if you think, are you, is this something that you're recommending to your patients at all or, or not? Uh, that's a good question. Intermittent fasting means so, so many different things. Um, you know, there's, there's time restricted eating, meaning you're just going to eat at certain times a day, say maybe not, there's usually a 12 hour interval. Some, sometimes people do a 16 hour interval, say nothing after 7 PM and nothing before 7 AM sort of thing. Um, there's intermittent fasting, which is done a number of ways, but a popular way is maybe three on, two off, you know, three on, one off. Um, and then there's fasting mimicking diet, you know, Walter Longo's work, uh, yep. USC, pretty interesting stuff, you know, fasting, water only fasting at true North. Um, I, I think it's helpful for people, uh, who are trying to lose weight. I think it's helpful for people who are trying to cut calories because it makes you mindful of, of when you're eating. Uh, I think that some of the fasting mimicking diet and water only fast, I mean, true fasting for at least three days, three to five days or even longer. Uh, there's some really interesting data around uh, longevity, around uh, decreased inflammatory markers, mm. decreased markers of aging. We know that when people fast, we know that when monkeys fast, we know that when yeast fast, we know every, every really every level of organism fast there's a longevity boost there. It's hard to do it, 
So I don't, I don't routinely recommend it to patients, but uh, you know, if patients want to talk about it, we'll, we'll share the data. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Essie, you got anything you want to say about that? Uh, <clears throat> well, when we had a, we began noticing that a lot of the, a lot of the patients that seemed to come out of the woodwork, uh, over 300 pounds, 350, 400, and or 280. Once they're over 250, and it's going to be it's so imperative to want to get their weight down. That I borrowed, I borrowed something that I've found at the National Institutes of Aging, uh, which is not terribly dramatic, and yet at the same time, as uh, as Brian mentioned, it keeps the the patient rather focused. And that is, I asked them to have a completely water only fast on two days of the week, Monday, 7 a.m. to Tuesday, 7 a.m. That's one 24 hour period. And the other is Thursday, 7 a.m. to Friday, 7 a.m. This way they avoid the weekend, but at the same time they remain focused. And what we found with this is that when the patients really lean into this, they never hit that plateau where they tell you, gee doc, I got to 240 pounds and I couldn't lose anything else. No, no. This, uh, this gently and safely keeps the uh, pattern going in the right direction. Yeah. And let me just, you know, uh, anecdotally say that, you know, we had a gentleman that, um, that I referred to my father from Costa Rica. He was weighing in about 450 pounds. Uh, Brian, you know who I'm talking about because you're now helping him out. Wonderful man. Uh, I'll just say his name because he doesn't mind. Ken Lander. And uh, he's down over 220 pounds. Uh, lean and mean. And he started practicing that as well, where two days a week, he would just eat green leafies. Um, he gets his patients to do sometimes those just those green leafies. Okay. Yeah. You know how gracious yeah. I am. <laughs> so um, let, here's a question we have. Um, is seaweed okay? Brian, Essie, do you guys, are you guys, uh, are you okay with seaweed for your patients? Yeah, it's great. Yep. Your, your children eat it all day, Rip. Well, I understand, but they're not heart patients. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and so we're 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 okay with the sodium in there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it's seventy percent of the sodium we get in our diets is from processed and restaurant foods, and not what we you know naturally occurs in food. So if it's naturally in the seaweed, yeah, the blood pressure is difficult to manage. You know, let's talk about it. But otherwise, eat it. Yep. Yep. Thanks. What about some another food people want to know if it's okay? Hemp seeds. Hemp seeds. We good with that? You know, I'd be interested to see what your what what Ann and Essie say. Um, I I will tell you I eat them frequently. Um, I sprinkle them on oatmeal. You know, they're they're seeds, so there there's there's fat in those. So I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, the guy's in the right corner of my screen, but I do eat those. They don't. They aren't as good as chia or flax for the omega threes. Yep. So, I mean, otherwise they're just sort of a little extra fatty. Well, what I, what what I what I have done, especially since reading Fiber Fueled, is just for the microbiome and the diversity of the fiber in my diet. Uh, I am adding, you know, hemp, chia, ground flax to every, every cereal I can. And a little amla. I don't even know what that is. Gooseberries. Indian gooseberry. Gooseberry? Yeah. Huh. Amla powder. Jim, do you know what that is? 
No, I'm going to draw a blank on that one. <laughs> it's very popular in uh, Ayurvedic medicine. <laughs> I don't need it. Okay. Bill's getting some omelet tea for her birthday, Rip. So this is a, a question for Brian. Brian, have you noticed any differences between men and women to consider when you're kind of prescribing them a, 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 proto, a protocol when it comes to, you know, um, this lifestyle medicine protocol? Uh, no, really, I don't. Uh, honestly, um, I, I would treat them the same. Mm. I agree with Brian, because I think especially uh, what what we have found so key and so essential and so powerful is when we're uh, first encountering the patient. Uh, you know, this is, as Jim mentioned, this is quite a lifestyle change. It is so important to have uh, the spouse be aware of what's going on because it's just crazy if you give a patient a 10 or 15 minute visit in the office without the spouse and expect him or her to go home and say, honey, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you got to do it with both pay, uh, the persons at the same time. And, and they are, and they're going to eat the same food. You don't want them to have to make uh, different meals. Yep. Uh, Brian or Essie, do you guys, um, <coughs> have you found niacin to be at all beneficial as a supplement? Yes or no? No, no. You know, I, I think, um, Niacin got some press back with the coronary drug project back in the fifties, late fifties. Yeah. Uh, that maybe there was some benefit. It raises HDL. Um, it's very poorly tolerated. I took it for a while myself just to see what would happen about 15 years ago. Um, because at that point I was still recommending it to some of my patients and it's um, the immediate release niacin is really what was touted as having potential benefit terrible flushing, really hard to take. Um, and the data today, I think just, it's just not effective. So no, I don't, I don't recommend it. So people, uh, Jim, uh, some people are wondering, are, are you doing any um, tofu, tempeh, any soy at all? Uh, soy we do. Um, and, and, and tofu at times, not much. Um, right. What okay, cool. Brian, what's your recommendation with your patients with tofu, tempeh, edamame? Uh, I I don't specifically recommend it. I just say eat, you know, mostly whole, try to eat whole plant-based foods. But I eat tofu, tempeh pretty regularly, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that I do too. I know that it's about 40% fat. And so, you know, Ann and Essie. Are, are you pretty cautious with that with your patients? Well, <laughs> yes, Essie doesn't. I mean, I think the temptation for patients then is to have it at every meal. And it's mm. just, it, it's, it's something to have, but not all the time. Yeah. And honestly, <clears throat> I mean, I use, I use uh, silken tofu as a great <clears throat> dessert. Right. Um, so here's a question that we get quite frequently. Um, I'd love to start with Brian and then, and then pivot to, to Essie. Um, people go on this, this program, let's just say going whole food plant-based and they notice when they get their first blood work that everything's 
moving along very nicely, except their triglycerides, which have gone up from 80 to 170. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, a couple. So first of all, I would consider triglycerides to be normal under 150. And triglycerides are very, very variable, depending predominantly on uh, carbohydrates, processed carbohydrates specifically. Right. Uh, so they vary a lot. And I don't, I, I don't care, honestly, whether your triglycerides are 120 versus 70. That's just not a, that's not a clinically meaningful difference. Mm-hmm. Under 150, I'm happy with the triglycerides. And it's very dependent on what you just ate. So you could have, you know, you could have come in with today with triglycerides of 170, like you said, and then come in two days later and their triglycerides are 80. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's just a hard one to look at unless you have more points on the curve. And, and I mentioned the processed carbohydrates really affect that a lot. Sugars, white flour, uh, the flour and bread, pasta, you know, that sort of thing, white rice. So if the triglycerides are, are, are always, you know, in that 150 to 200 range, not, not quite where we want them, then I would, I would talk to that patient about, you know, are you eating white, too much white rice? What about the pasta? What about the breads? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would certainly agree with what Brian has to say. I always try to also look out for uh, uh, <clears throat> what it is that they're drinking because Sometimes they they get a little carried away with smoothies, and mm-hmm. suddenly they you know throw in some apples and oranges, and now you've separated the fructose from the fiber, and it goes off like a rocket in your stomach. And uh, so, really, uh, the the other thing that might help it if it's stubborn would be the uh, amla. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what's interesting is is um, when I was doing. Um, my first book, I had a couple people that in celebration of the last day before they went in for their blood work, they would have a glass or two of red wine yeah. or a beer or two. And their before triglycerides were like 80 to 120. And just the alcohol threw it up yeah. into the 200s. Yeah, it's all that sugar. It's simple well, carbohydrate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, that, that's great to know. Um, let's see. Um, somebody wants to know is how do I know if a statin is right for me? Hmm. Any, any thoughts on that? I mean, let, and before you say something, can I say this? Cause you know, what I've read is unless you've had a, a cor- a, a coronary event, the NNT, meaning the numbers needed to treat, uh, on statin drugs is, right about like a hundred people have to be taking a statin drug for five years for one person to get a positive result. I don't know if, if you agree with that or you've read something similar. The exception is with people that have had a, cor- a coronary event, a cardiac event, where they benefit about 30, I think you mentioned earlier today, about 50% from taking that statin drug. Yeah, I think it's important to differentiate those two things. There's primary prevention, which is trying to prevent the first event. And then there's secondary prevention uh, in Jim's case, for example, where you have documented vascular disease for the, for the documented vascular disease patient. Um, there's about a 50% reduction in events on higher dose statins for the primary prevention patient. As you mentioned, that number needed to treat is about hundred. So that there's not a, that's kind of a harder, that's a much harder sell, right? So we try to treat according to risk, 
And trying to determine one's risk of the initial event is terribly difficult right now. We use a Framingham risk score. Mm. Uh, we use the MESA, M-E-S-A, multi-ethnic study of atherosclerosis risk calculator. And those are imperfect, but they give you sort of a range of what is my likelihood that I'm going to have a cardiovascular event based on this, this data in the next 10 years. Um, I use the MESA calculator because it's a risk of heart attack and stroke, and it's not just, you know, white people. It's, yeah. you know, Asians and Hispanics and uh, African-Americans as well. So I think that's more helpful. Um, I was in the practice sometimes if I wasn't really sure still about whether or not somebody's risk was high, but they, you know, really do I want to put this patient on a, on a statin? I would consider additional testing in a lot of those people, like a coronary artery calcium score or a carotid intima media thickness test and ultrasound of your neck arteries. I used a fair number of coronary calcium scores and, and this is a long story. We can talk about that perhaps another time, but yeah. um, a calcium score of zero, not going to treat it. A calcium score that's, you know, above 10, you have some calcification of some plaque in your arteries. You know, we, we might want to talk about it. And we talk, of course, we're going to talk about your diet first, but to yeah. answer your question, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Well, that one patient that you mentioned in the beginning, I think it was, uh, well, let me think. Is he, is, is, is he the one that read, read prevent and reverse heart disease and had all the great success? Is he still on a statin? You know, Rip, I don't see him anymore. It's been seven oh. years. He moved, he moved up to Ohio. Um, yeah. And I can't think of the name of the Ohio town, but um, he, you know, I, I want you to be on the lowest dose of the statin necessary to get you to the point where I feel like your numbers protect you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for some patients, I have no concern about stopping your statin if your numbers all look good off of it. If your number, the, the harder question is, I'm 100% whole food plant-based. And, and I know Michael Clapper and I could get into a long discussion of what the right thing to do here is. Yeah. Discussions of glycocalyx and all sorts of things. Um, I think Michael would say, don't, don't treat that whole food plant-based patient with a statin. Um, don't worry about the high cholesterol because they have a healthy glycocalyx and they have a low myeloperoxidase and low oxidized LDL numbers. And, you know, I, my, my practice honestly would probably be to still have that patient on a statin if, if the numbers weren't right. Right. Jim, do you have any questions for Brian or Essie? I, I, I want to make sure that you uh, have any uh, questions you have that are answered. No, I mean, just this, this last point that Brian made uh, was good to hear. Uh, because every time I reduced my statin amount, I did it with my doctors. He was on board. He, he didn't necessarily want to do it, but I says, I'm not going to do it on my own. I'm going to work with you here. We're partners on this thing. Yeah. So I would never do it on my own without letting him know. But I also realized that he was hesitant to take me off of it because of my history. But it's been 10 years now. I'm not going to go back to eating meat and dairy. So that you can count on. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, so Brian, Brian I, I mean, I love what Jim just said there, where he said how it's a partnership totally between, agree. between the cardiologist or the physician and the patient. It seems like a lot of people don't, they don't have that, um, that, that, that partnership, or at least the, the doctor's not, uh, not, um, um, <laughs> Help me. <laughs> They're not willing to. Well, the doctor's not willing to look at that as an option for, for the most part. Doesn't want you coming off your statins. 
So what is your recommendation? Is it to find another physician uh, that might be more agreeable to that? And where do you go to find another physician? You know, I think that's a tough question too. I, I think if you, if you um, are having trouble relating to the doctor and there, it's not a partnership, it's more of a paternalistic or maternalistic relationship. Yeah. And it, it's, it's going to, and your, your feeling is it's going to stay that way. In all honesty, you probably need, you're probably better served by a different doctor. But if you've had this doctor for a while, um, I would encourage you to, to listeners to change your lifestyle, change your diet, change your activity, change how you sleep, get rid of the alcohol, excess alcohol and the tobacco, um, work on your stress management and, and then go back to the doc and show them him or her, the, the changes that you've had and try to open the eyes of the doctor that you have and say, look at what we've been, look at what I've been able to do with changing my lifestyle, educate, help educate your doctor and try to, you know, form that, that, relationship that works that partner relationship as jim said yeah no if you if you're really struggling you feel like you know what i need a new doctor um i i would definitely encourage uh someone to look at uh, someone who's lifestyle medicine certified uh who really gets that your behaviors are what affect your health that 80 percent of these chronic diseases that we've been talking about today are have their roots in in poor behavior choices so the American College of Lifestyle Medicine has a website. You can go on there and you can go and find, I can't remember which you know, topic it is at the top. You can find who in your zip code and your city and your whatever you want to search by, your state even, uh, who, who's board certified in lifestyle medicine. And uh, that's a great place to start. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so we, we are uh, out of time. I just want to, Essie and Ann, do you guys have any parting words for... Um, for our audience? Well, I just think it's so exciting to meet Ryan, <laughs> to see Jim uh, performing again. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the, uh, uh, the reason I think I find myself, uh, now what, 20, 21 years since retiring from surgery, that I find myself so uh, exciting about the what I think is going to be the absolute seismic revolution in health is never going to come about from a pill or a stent or an operation. But the seismic revolution in health that is really before us will come about when we in the profession have the will and the grit and the determination to share with the public what is the lifestyle and most specifically, what is the nutritional literacy that will empower them as the locus of control to absolutely annihilate chronic illness. Beautiful. Anne, any parting words? <laughs> I, I second that and, you know, do 24 jumping jacks too. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Brian, how about you? Any parting words? I can't add to that. That's, that's exactly right. I, I think we're on the, when you look at the American Council of Lifestyle Medicine um, membership, the increase in physician membership there, and not just physicians, but other ancillary health providers, nurses, physical therapists, dietitians, it's exploded. So I, I think you're right, Essie. I think we're, we're right at the beginning of a seismic shift. And, um, and that's in large part, frankly, thanks to, to people like you and, and Colin Campbell and, and Dean Ornish and you know, all the other people that have sort of set the stage for that to happen. So thank you for everything that you've done. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Jim, any parting words? No, I'd like to thank your dad uh, for everything he's done for me. 
uh, setting the table for me. Um, and I remember my vascular surgeon telling me that I had three choices dealing with this peripheral artery disease. He said, we can put a stent in, we can do bypass surgery, or you could do nothing at all and eventually lose your foot to the disease. Well, I had the stent, didn't work. I had the surgeries, it didn't work. And here I am still with my foot, both feet in good shape because I went plant-based. So that's all I can say is it works. It's working for me. Yeah, beautiful. Great. Woo! <laughs> so, um, Ann and Essie, thank you for joining us tonight. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Jim, wonderful, wonderful. So let me just close out tonight by saying um, I want to thank everybody for joining us for this first uh, episode of, uh, of Rips Rescue, where we tackle disease. So I also, I also got to give a little shout out. Our 10th annual plant stock event is going to be the weekend of September 11th. So keep an eye out for that one. It's going to, again, it's going to be a doozy. Uh, and we're going to be celebrating 10 years of not only plant stock, but all things plant-based. Um, and remember, if you want more information, resources, tools, recipes, and a great community, just go to plantstrong.com. Dot com. All right. Uh, with that, Ann Essie, Brian, Jim, peace, engine two. Keep it plant strong. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this special episode of Rips Rescue. I, I hope that it helps you rescue yourself or a loved one by following all the information that you've heard about this heart-friendly, powerful lifestyle. For more information, free recipes, group coaching, food products shipped directly to your doorstep, meal planners, events, and community support, simply visit us at planstrong.com. Remember, our genes are just a small piece of our overall health puzzle. The major, major piece, the largest piece is your lifestyle and your diet. You hold the power to become heart attack proof and don't you ever forget it.